Thank you so much, Pastor Wally. Good morning, everybody. It is really good to see you. How many of you can hear the slightest tinge of an accent when I open my mouth? Just raise your hand. Yeah, it sounds like Arkansas, doesn't it? Just got back from London on Tuesday, so uh, we've had our accent refurbished. And um, Kay, my wife, is uh, with me at the front here. Kay is often mistaken for my daughter, which really cheers me up especially when she doesn't deny that she's not. That's kind of rude. So, uh, so good to be with you today. And this is our very, very first time ever in Michigan. We just arrived here uh, yesterday. I was talking to a friend who has relatives here. He said, you're going to love these people. And uh, they're great people. And I came out of Pastor Wally's uh, office and uh, Kay came up to me. She said, these people are just so friendly, just so friendly. So thank you very much for uh, welcoming us and for your uh, kindness to us. It is so good to be with you. We're going to jump right into God's Word this morning. And uh, how many of you have got a Bible with you? I know the this verses are going to come up on the screen. Raise your hand if you've got a, a Bible. That's good. Acts chapter 11. How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is from the pulpit? All right. Well, there's a healing in the house right there. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, and verse 19. We are we're looking at an episode as we're thinking in this message about healthy church. We're looking at an episode that happened 12 years after the day of Pentecost. You know, sometimes when you read through the Bible, you think that this happened on Tuesday and this happened on Thursday and, and it all unfolded so quickly, but that isn't the way it is. This happened 12 years after the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 11. Now, those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. One of the reasons that I'm uh, delighted to uh, be here is, uh, to be honest with you, I'm glad to be anywhere. I'm one of those sad guys who gets lost everywhere he goes. And uh, in our car, we have a GPS with an irritated woman in it who tells us where we're supposed to go. She gets kind of mad with me. Turn around when possible, you know, that kind of dialogue. But despite that, we are constantly, my wife and I are, are constantly uh, lost. Ladies, I want you to be encouraged by this. Um, I am a man who is willing to stop and ask for directions. Thank you for your support. That's really good. But I stop and ask for directions. But the sad thing is that when I'm being given the directions, I get really bored with listening. And so the person is saying, second left, third right, turn left at the lights. And I'm thinking, oh, do be quiet. This is numbing. I'd rather be lost right now. I am constantly lost. I am so constantly lost. I, I got lost one time in a church bathroom. How about that? I was speaking at a leadership conference in Canada. 
And uh, there were about a thousand leaders there, and I was just about to speak, and I thought I'm just going to go use the bathroom. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, the news that preachers have to use bathrooms. You know, we, we do that, you know. Uh, I was at one church in the bathroom. Guy came in, recognized me, said, hello, Jeff. He said, I'm rather surprised to see you in here. I thought, what do you think we do, pray about it? You know, that's kind of weird. Anyway, I'm, I'm in this uh, bathroom washing my hands, always a good idea. And in, in this church, they had loudspeakers in the bathroom so you could hear the service while using the bathroom. Very helpful Christian multitasking. So, so I'm washing my hands, and I suddenly hear the leader of the conference introducing me. He said, uh, Jeff Lucas is going to come right now and speak. And I'm thinking, he's not. He's stranded in the bathroom. So I thought, well, I better get out of here. So I went to push the door to, to get out, and it wouldn't open. And, and I, I'm now sweating and panicking. I pushed the door. I kicked the door. This was a charismatic conference, so I rebuked the door. And it still wouldn't open. And I'm standing there, and he's saying, where's Jeff? Where's Jeff? And, and then I, t I looked in the mirror, and I realized I'd got turned around in the bathroom, and the door was behind me. And I just spent five minutes trying to break into the supplies cupboard. Two minutes later, I ran up onto the platform to speak on the subject, what God is doing around the earth. I thought, how do I know? I can't even get out of the bathroom. This is really ridiculous. I spend a lot of my time displaced and lost and bewildered. Twelve years after the day of Pentecost, there were a lot of bewildered, displaced believers. Stephen had been martyred, and that had ignited a terrible persecution in Jerusalem, so much so that the believers were scattered. Imagine that. You are driven from your home. You don't know where to go. And they end up, many of them, they end up in this city called Antioch, an amazing city, the third largest city in the Roman Empire with around half a million people. It was a beautiful place. It was known as Antioch the Golden. There was a, a marble-paved main street four miles long in the middle of the city. It was a busy port. It was cosmopolitan. There was a lot of pagan worship there. Antioch, if you will, was the New York City of the day. But as these bewildered, displaced believers make their way to Antioch, suddenly God moves in a completely unexpected way. I know your theme this year is breakthrough. This is an episode of incredible breakthrough that wasn't on anybody's mission plan. How many know that God has a habit of being God? He does that. And the church in Jerusalem, more about that later, but they haven't got any church planting plans for Antioch. No, no, that's, that's not part of the deal. But in the midst of the lostness and the scattering, suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to work and there is a, a breakthrough there. And what happens is a church is founded, the first, the first great church among Gentiles in history, the first world apostolic mission sending church. The early church here is not just changing gear, it's getting a brand new engine 
and moving into a whole new breakthrough phase in her history. And what you see, what you see is a healthy church. I want to say, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, what we need today is healthy churches. You see, you can have a large church that's healthy, and you can have a large church that's unhealthy, that disintegrates into being little more than a crowd. And you can have a small church that is healthy, particularly in a rural situation, and you can have a small church that is unhealthy. The question is not how big is the church, although God cares about people and therefore numbers are an issue because every person counts. But the real thing that we need to be asking God for is that we might be healthy church. And what I want to do as we uh, share this sermon over these next three or four hours together, just kidding, just kidding. Some of you look really scared right then. What I want to do is think, well, what is, what is a healthy church? How many of you, the accent's kind of fresh, so how many of you are understanding most of what I'm, what I'm saying? Raise, raise your hand if you would. That cheers me up. That's good. I won't ask you how many of you will, are not understanding the accent because you wouldn't understand the question, would you? So I'll just keep going with the accent. First of all, then, first of all, healthy churches believe in church. Healthy churches believe in church. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, the group in Antioch is described as the church at Antioch. Now, now the word church there is an interesting word, ecclesia, ecclesia, from which we get our word ecclesiastical. Basically, in general uh, usage at that time, that simply meant a gathering of people. But the word ecclesia had been invested with special meaning for Jews and for Christians. And so, in, in, the, uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, the writer, Dr. Luke, describes Israel as the congregation in the wilderness, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the called out ones. He's referring to Israel. And so, when Dr. Luke in Acts 13 writes about this gathering in Antioch, and he uses the word ecclesia, suddenly he's letting us know this is not just a club or a society or an association or an organization. This is the church. I'm convinced that we need to rediscover the significance of the church in our day. Did you know that in New Testament times, the greatest challenging punitive act that could be made as an act of discipline in the local church was the denial of fellowship privileges, excommunication. You see, the believers so valued the privilege of being part of the church together that the challenge was if you live in a way that brings scandal to the gospel, we're going to remove that privilege. And they feared that because they valued the privilege. I think we need to rediscover the value of church. We're busier than ever. Years ago, uh, when I became a Christian back in 1837, we used to be in church three or four times a week. Now, the average attendance in America and, by the way, in the UK, among committed Christians, tragically, is one and a half times a month. So we're busier than anything than we have ever been. 
And then everything is individualized now as well. We are now a selfie culture, aren't we? Does anyone remember the good old days when you could walk into a coffee shop and you could say something like this, can I have a cup of coffee? Life was so easy then. Now you've got to have a PhD in caffeine and a working knowledge of Italian. Why is that? It's because there are so many choices. One person, who probably needs to get out more, calculated that if you went to Starbucks, there are 87,000 different choices available with all of the different permutations and mixtures that there can be to create a cup of coffee. The days of, can I have a cup of coffee, are gone. It's all about you, see. How do you want it? We, it's Burger King. You have it your way. And so we're busy. Life has become individualized, but we need to declare in this busy individualistic culture that God has always been about creating a gathered community, a family, a church. Philip Yancey, in his book, Vanishing Grace, he says, if you want to summarize the overriding theme of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if you want to summarize it in one sentence, it goes like this, God gets his family back. And in the Garden of Eden, you've got a family. And in the book of Revelation, you've got a family marching into eternity. And everything in between is the story of that family. Genesis 1 through 11, it all starts so well, doesn't it, with the family in Eden. And then there is sin and the fall and the first murder. And then things go downhill until Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel or Babel. A humanistic monument that said, we don't need God. And there's a scattering at that time and a confusion of languages that results. And then right there in Genesis chapter 12, God launches his kingdom family project through Abraham. And the unfolding story of Israel begins then. And you know the story. They, they walk with God. They walk away from God. The prophets come and kick them and nudge them and call them back. And they become elitist and internalized and legalistic. And then a man called John the Baptist comes. And then the Christ is born. And he comes not just to die, but also to live and show us how to live. And he dies on a cross to deal everything that separates us from God. And he is raised again from the dead and he ascends into heaven. And his friends are told to wait and they wait in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 2, something amazing happens because a wind begins to blow. And on the day of Pentecost, this was not just an ignition of power. This is a Pentecostal church. I'm a Pentecostal. I got saved in a Pentecostal church, and I'm part of a Pentecostal church right now. But sometimes we Pentecostals, all we see at Pentecost is power. There's more than that. You see, at Pentecost, suddenly the curse of the Tower of Babel is reversed. Back in Genesis 11, there is a confusion of languages. Now in Acts chapter 2, everybody understands the gospel in their own language. It's all turned upside down. What's God saying? I'm getting a bit excited. I'm sorry about that. I'm a British person, and we don't do excitement. Excitement in Britain means to raise one eyebrow slightly. 
In Acts chapter 2, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what happens is that the curse of Babel is turned upside down and the power of the Holy Spirit comes and God is saying, look, this is now my new kingdom community. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're part of. And this is what meets the most basic human need. A survey was taken. People were asked the question, what statement do you most love to hear when you converse with others? What's your favorite thing to hear? And the, the top three were these. The, the obvious favorite was, I love you. The second favorite was, I forgive you. And the third favorite was, supper's ready. And you know, when I think about that, I think that's the gospel. God's saying, I love you. If you'll accept it, I forgive you. Now pull up a chair at the table of my household because supper's ready. You know what that means? And I, I want you to listen carefully to this because otherwise you're going to get mad with me and I'm new. That means some of us perhaps need to stop attending this church. You say, what? Hold on. Things were going quite well, Jeff, but they suddenly went downhill. Some of us need to stop attending this church. You say, what do you mean by that? Hey, you don't attend a family. I've, I've, got, I've got two kids. We've got two kids and two grandkids. We're obsessed with our grandkids. How many know what I'm talking about? Come to the book table. I've got 11 million photographs to share with you. I am not attending my family. They're in my heart. They're in my soul. They're in my gut. I don't just attend, but somehow we've got to a place where we just talk about church attendance. And I get that, particularly if you're new, you're checking things out and what's going on. And, but there does come a time to stop attending and start committing. And I mean committing. How many know that it's easy these days in America to go from church to church? And it's interesting how the Lord's always leading people when they do that. And it's normally when they're irritated. That's an interesting collection as well, isn't it? And let's face it, we're going to get irritated with each other. If you've been part of this, this, is, this looks like a great church, but if you've, if you've been part of this for more than six months and nothing about it has irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead. Yeah? Committed to the family. Secondly, secondly, healthy churches have a theology of supernatural and suffering. Healthy churches have a theology of supernatural and of suffering. Verse 19 tells us that these people had suffered. They were scattered by the persecution but in verse 21, we read, the Lord's hand was with them. There's such a lot in that statement. You see, the church had been birthed in pain. Stephen had died. That led to the scattering. They'd lost family members. They'd lost homes. But then Luke tells us, verse 26, that the, they were first known as Christians in Antioch. Now, we might just read that and think, oh, that's nice, isn't it? They, they called them the Christians. Did you know that the initial use of the word Christian was an insult? 
Because in Antioch, there were a group of fanatical emperor worshippers called the Augustianoi. The Augustianoi. And that was a term of mockery and division. Or derision. And then when the, uh, when the Jesus crowd showed up, they, the locals decided to borrow that language and they called them the Christianoi. The Christians. You see, it was an insult. But there's something I want us to see. In the midst of the suffering, Luke tells us the Lord's hand was with them. This is a favorite term of Luke's. He talks about the Lord's hand being with John the Baptist, with the apostles, against Elymas the sorcerer. You see, I want you to see that they're suffering, but there is no evidence that they've been deserted in their suffering or that they're under judgment, but rather, in the midst of their suffering, the Lord's hand is upon them. I'm no expert in suffering, and I don't want to become one. I'm allergic to pain. I don't like the idea of suffering at all. But I do know this from my limited experience. Sometimes when Christians suffer, other Christians say silly things. The 40 chapters of Job tell us that when you're in trouble, well-meaning people will show up with ridiculous ideas. Some years ago, um, I got really sick. I was in London, and halfway through a meal, I got swine flu. wasn't on the menu, but I got it. And the swine flu turned into pneumonia, which then turned into double pneumonia. And by now, I was back in America and stranded on the West Coast in Oregon with friends. And uh, my best friend is also a doctor, which is kind of helpful in that situation. And he thought I was going to die. I wasn't responding to the antibiotics, and it was, it was rough. So I, I put it on Facebook. You know, I'd appreciate your prayers because I've got pneumonia. And it's really interesting uh, what some Christians did there on Facebook. Uh, some said, you ha- you're not sick. You just think you're sick. Hello? I am sick. I just threw up. I've got evidence. <laughs> and then others said... Uh, They wrote on Facebook in capital letters, Satan, we rebuke you in Jesus' name! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I didn't even know the devil was on Facebook. (laughs) And can you imagine him sitting around in hell with some of his friends going, whoa, capital letters on Facebook. Dudes, didn't see that one coming. Uh, And you know know some of these things that Christians say. uh, One one person said, well, you've not got enough faith, otherwise you'd be healed. We we hear that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I was just throwing up. I got a temperature. I think I'm going to die. And now I'm an unbeliever too. Helpful. Helpful. And and then someone said, uh, you've not been healed because there's sin in your life. Oh, thanks a lot. I'm a vomiting, unbelieving sinner. And someone else said, it's probably due to your great, 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 great grandfather who did something really naughty, and now you're suffering as a result. Excellent. I'll dig him up and slap him. (laughs) And I've met Christians, and they get really sick. And everybody in the name of faith is in such denial. And I believe that God heals. I became a Christian because God healed me. I believe in healing. But if we're going to have a theology of healing, we've also got to have a coherent theology of suffering. 
Otherwise, we'll lead to just a cough of embarrassment when it doesn't show up the way we want it to. And I want to just be honest with you. We've only just met, but let's just say it the way it is. I mean, I believe in healing. Isn't it true to say we don't see as much healing as we'd like? Isn't that true? And when that happens, we can rush to unhelpful solutions that are not solutions. I know a man who died of cancer, but no one in his church knew it because he didn't want to let the intercessors down. Anyone should be able to face death and say goodbye with dignity. It should be us. So yes, let's, let's have a theology of the supernatural. I, I am totally up for that. But let's have a theology of suffering. And to any here today who might currently be in the valley of suffering, I want to point you to Dr. Luke's statement, and the hand of the Lord was upon them. Your unresolved suffering does not imply abandonment. Your unresolved suffering, in fact, let me take a step further. Sometimes the greatest faith that I've ever seen in my life has been on the oncology ward, not in the prayer meeting. As God's people faithfully have navigated their way through unresolved pain and mystery. But trust Him anyway. We sang earlier about walls falling down and chains falling off. You ever thought about this? Peter, when he was in prison, got set free. But James was executed. And when he finally gets into the prayer meeting, do you remember that prayer meeting where he's knocking on the door and Rhoda forgets to answer the door? That must be irritating. Takes an angel to get you out of prison, but even an angel can't get you into the prayer meeting. And he goes in and everyone's astonished that he is free, but Salome, mother of James, she's in that prayer meeting, sitting there going, well, this is great. Hand me a tambourine, but... What about my boy? You see, every it's not just unanswered prayer that creates questions. It's answered prayer. Because we say, well, why was that one answered but not that one? And you're praying and fasting, and that is amazing and great, by the way. Although I've got to tell you, I, can I just be honest again? I'm not a big fan of fasting, personally. I think it's a spelling mistake. I think it's feasting, and they just spelled it wrong. And I thought it was really cool that in the middle of your fasting, they had a photograph of food up there. I thought that was a beautiful thing. But seriously, fasting is obviously an amazing and right thing to do. Jesus says, when you fast, there's an assumption that we will. But in the midst of the prayer and the expectation that God will break through, which is right and wonderful, let's also embrace the truth that the hand of the Lord is upon those who suffer. You can say amen. Number three, healthy churches share Jesus in conversation and proclamation. Healthy churches share Jesus in conversation and proclamation. Some of them, it says in verse 20, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Do you realize, do you know one of the greatest challenges for us, the church? It's internal thinking. Get this, Jesus had told his disciples, go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, 
But for 18 years, 18 years after the day of Pentecost, that message was not really getting out to the wider Gentile population, and the church was primarily Jewish. Seven years after the day of Pentecost, Peter has that vision about Gentiles coming to Christ. It's a full five years later that this happens in Antioch, so that's 12 years after Pentecost. And it's another six years before Paul goes on his first missionary journey, and then there's the Council of Jerusalem. You know what that tells me? That tells me that one of our greatest, most subtle temptations is to turn inward and think that church is just about us. And it took a move of the Holy Spirit without the knowledge of the Jerusalem church to shake shake things up so that the Gentiles could come and hear the gospel. How many know church is not just about me and what I want? We live in a consumer age, don't we, where it's what you want. And that can creep into the church. Pastor Wally, we could, you could have greeters out there. And as people come in, uh, they could say, welcome to Central. Um, would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping today? Clapping or non-clapping? Oh, I've had a bit of a rough week. Could I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-giving in the offering, non-participating in the worship, non-listening to the message, non-responding? Could I sit in that section, please? I'm very sorry, that section's always very full. I'm afraid we couldn't possibly. Just kidding, just kidding. But my point is that if we're not careful, we can think the church is just about me, my needs, what I want, and we forget to look outward and share the message. When we read that these guys, these people are speaking to Greeks and telling them good, the good news. There's two Greek words there. One is about conversation. The other is about proclamation. And so, yes, it's really good to bring people to church so that they can hear the gospel. Although, be subtle about that. You know, if you, when you bring guests, you don't need to send Pastor Wally a, a message. You know, we have a pagan in the house. But it's not just about proclamation, it's also about conversation. When I first became a Christian, I was a rabid evangelistic type. I had so many fishes on the back of my car, it looked like a mobile aquarium. (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? I had a big cross around my neck and a big badge with a subtle message like, hello, you're going to hell, something like that. And uh, I I turned every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff, would you like a cheese sandwich? No, thank you. I have the bread of life. But you see, we're all pendulums. We think we're balanced, but we're all in reaction to something. And so I swang away from that kind of enthusiasm and passion, and I kind of went really quiet. (laughs) Remember some while ago, I was flying on a plane with an evangelist. Don't fly with evangelists. It's dangerous. And I'm sitting, he's on my left, and there's this lady sitting on my right, and she is, um, she's nervous. I know that because she's eating the in-flight magazine. She's <laughs> and uh, I get a nudge in the ribs from the evangelist. The woman next to you is nervous. I said, I know. She's eating the magazine. She's going to start on the headrest any moment. 
He said, why don't you offer to pray for her? Tell her about Jesus. I said, no. I can't, that's, that's a bit cheesy, isn't it? You know, and it sounds like a pickup line, doesn't it? Hello. Can I pray for you? And so we carry on flying and we hit a patch of turbulence. So, and the woman, uh, the woman screamed. Ah! <laughs> the woman next to you just screamed. I said, I know you were the brains of a minor reptile. It was in my ear. He said, why didn't you offer to pray for her? I said, no, you pray for her. We carried on flying. Then we hit another patch of turbulence and she screamed again. Ah! And grabbed my hand and wouldn't let go. Now I'm holding hands with this woman. And I'm British. And we haven't been introduced. The woman next to you is holding your hand. I said, I'm aware of this. It is my hand. He said, why don't you offer to pray for her? I said, look, I'm doing my bit. I'm holding her hand. Why don't you do it? So he leaned over and he said, excuse me, ma'am. He said, um, we sense that you're nervous because you're holding my friend's hand. And let's face it, he's not Tom Cruise. So we are Christians. He looked at me as if to say, I think. He said, would you like us to pray for you? She said, yes, please. Yes, please. Now, why can't evangelists pray quietly? We're on an airplane and suddenly you get this, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke this storm. Everybody in the airplane turns around, looks at me. I'm like, not me, not me. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I'm realizing and realize that I need to get my voice back. It's proclamation and conversation. That doesn't mean that you go into work tomorrow and you say to your workmates, gather round. You may touch the hem of my garment, for I have been to church. This fluorescent glow that you detect, it is the Lord. It is that we're available to the opportunity to share the gospel. All right, the last thing is this. We preachers, Pastor Wally, we, I don't know whether you do this, but we preachers, we have this little, um, this little device that we use uh, when we're preaching. We, we say, and now, in conclusion. We do that to give you hope. Yeah. The last thing is this, very briefly. Healthy churches show, share ongoing grace without fuss. They share ongoing grace without fuss. There's something buried in this story I really want us to see. They'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Who was involved in that persecution? The apostle Paul, Paul, Paul stood there guarding their coats, giving consent. And he actively confesses three times in the New Testament that he dragged believers from their homes. He was actively involved in the persecution. Barnabas is too busy in Antioch. He needs help. By now, Saul has become a Christian, and he's spent 10 years in Tarsus, his hidden years. We don't know what he was doing. So Barnabas decides he needs a co-pastor. The church is formed in Antioch because partly 
due to Saul's involvement in the persecution. Now, who's the new co-pastor? Can you imagine that at the annual business meeting? We'd like to introduce you to a new member of the team. Some of you will recognize him. But they welcomed the persecutor gladly and openly. As I conclude this, Let's have grace for people, not just when they show up here. Sometimes we get excited when rampant sinners arrive, in our minds at least, and we're excited as long as they clean up pretty quick. How many know we're all under construction? None of us are together yet. We need to pass grace around. We need grace for change because Saul becomes Paul and a key leader grace shared without fuss. Well, as uh, Pastor Dan joins me, I want to invite you just to stand quietly with me, if you would. If you're able, let's stand together. And I would love to pray a prayer. Healthy church. Thanks, Dan. Healthy church. Grace without fuss. Sharing Jesus conversationally and in proclamation. A theology of supernatural and suffering. A church that believes in church. Before I pray, I would love to include you in a prayer. First of all, let me ask this. If you are suffering right now, and you can measure that, some of us might say, well, compared with what others are going through. Don't do that. It's just a rough time right now. It's tough. I would like to pray that you would have a greater sense that the hand of the Lord is upon you. If you find yourself in that place, can I ask you just to slip up your hand? Just do that right now. Just do it. We're family. We've only just met you and I, but we're part of the same family. Thanks for doing that. We're going to pray. Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your precious people. For those who find themselves in a place of questions, of sickness, of suffering, as this lovely church family navigates the truth of breakthrough, would you break through in many different ways to them? We ask for your healing. We ask for your intervention. We ask for gifts of faith. But we ask too that they might have a great sense that the hand of the Lord is upon them. Let's just keep our heads bowed. I wonder if today, as we're in this moment of prayer, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, or maybe... That's been in your history, but it's not currently where you're living. And, and today, you'd like to say, I, I need God. I, I want Him centrally in my life. At this moment, I want to hand my life to Him and follow Him. It's a very simple invitation here. If you, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed... If that's where you find yourself, you want to choose to become a Christian or you want to come back to Him, I want to ask you to just slip up your hand for a moment and hold it there. 
and then put it down if that's where you find yourself. Just slip up that hand. Make that step. Thank you for that. And thank you. Thank you. That is wonderful. Those of you that just raise your hand, please listen at the end of our service when Pastor Wally comes back to any instruction that he might have. I know that there are resources to help you as you move forward. Reveal yourself, we pray, Lord, to each and every one. I wonder if you'd look up with me now, and I want to just pray one last prayer, if I may, before I hand the service back. But I'd like to ask you, some of you love this stuff and some of you won't like it, but let's just go for it. Would you just, um, would you just take the hand of the person next to you? Wipe your hand first. We don't like sweaty fellowship. That's good. And you can join hands across the aisle as well. Those people are nice. That's great. And keep your eyes open because we do fellowship with our eyes open. What a joy and occasionally what a challenge to be part of God's family. But as we join our hands, Lord, we ask you, can I join you for a moment? We ask you to continue to help each and every one of us to build healthy church under your good hand. Help us to play our part. Help us to share Jesus. Help us to look outward. We agree together in Jesus' name, and with great relief, we let go of that sweaty hand.